You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. X-Man is back. All right. That's right. Not the Backstreet Boys. Your boy, the X-Man, Doc Coyle. Here I am, up in the crib, representing, holding it down. All right. Crazy week. Actually, no, it hasn't been a crazy week. I started doing keto, you know. I like it. You know, I feel better, more energy. I did kind of crash on Sunday, though, because when you kind of work out and then you don't have carbs in your system <laughs> your body doesn't really recover that well so i gotta i gotta do some more carbs on the days i'm gonna gonna work out so my so my muscles can can handle it but other than that i'd say things are going pretty well you, your boy's very very busy um i put out a little i guess psa if you will on the internets and you know it was about kind of checking yourself, you know, during, during this time and basically testing how you're handling tough times. And one, one kind of point I didn't, I didn't kind of put up, put on the end, which I I meant to say was like, how would you grade yourself during the pandemic? And then the kind of, uh, you know, the aftermath of, of all the protests and stuff and the stress, like, like how have you personally handled it? Like, you know, have you flipped out on anyone or have you, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, one of the things that's that's going around are like these videos of the quote unquote Karens. And I hate this term. I think it's terrible. And I, and I think and I kind of hate I kind of, you know, it, it goes to a further point about pejorative language, which ultimately are they're slurs. We don't think they are. And if we can kind of morally characterize the person as being a bad person, then it's like we don't feel bad. You know, and you got to think about just about every slur probably at one point was just to single out maybe a certain kind of stereotype, right? Hey, when I say the N-word, I'm not talking about all black people. I'm just talking about those black people. Hey, when I'm saying Karen, I'm not I'm not talking about all white people. I'm just talking about those white ladies of a certain age, and it got me thinking about, you know, these are just why are we seeing all these, right? And it got me thinking, oh, it's it's like people are breaking down, people are losing their fucking minds right now. <laughs> people I know, people you know, and because the situation is crazy in some respects, maybe we should just expect that this is what's going to happen. And so to a, to a certain degree, I think it's very easy to look at them. They suck. I'm great. Like this, this couple, 
out front of their house, you know, there looks like they're in, you know, staying in a mansion or castle or something. They they got guns out, protests, and it's it's the worst element of us, right? And when I say us, I I mean us because we either we're together or, or we're not. But we we definitely with each passing day, we tend to look at our fellow countrymen and women as as the enemy, and it's bad, 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 bad news. But in a lot of ways, I kind of feel for these people. Because I think they are scared and I think whatever media they're consuming and, and what's going on in the world, they people think that somebody's coming for them, that somebody is coming for them. And that, you know, it, depending on where you get your information from, it is definitely scary from their perspective. And so, I don't know. I, I, I don't think we should use terms like Karen. My aunt is named Karen. And I love her. And she's an amazing person. And I don't like y'all denigrating my aunt's name. Who is black? Happens to be black. <laughs> um, yeah, so anytime there's like a, a name that kind of consolidates one group of people and one thing, don't 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 use it. All right? It's lame. Anyway, that's just, that's just Doc Coyle's little perspective. You know, you could take it, leave it, whatevs. You know, I can handle that shit. This show... This week is brought to you by a sponsor, a, a, a very good buddy of mine, a friend of mine named Ro Coley. He did street team and marketing for Roadrunner back in the day, Century Media Records. If you ever saw, God forbid, on OzFest and we had the Aliens versus Predator bus, he was the one that actually got that done. So he's the man, but he has his own company called War Machine Marketing, and they are creators of branded merchandise for all budgets. They deal with over 2 million products. So if you need items for pre-sales, web stores, tour merchandise, or custom items, they got you covered. They even do personalized action figures. Yo, guys, and these action figures are nuts. Like, it's so badass. You know, you can get, like, it's like a birthday present. Oh, I'll get an action figure of my girlfriend or my boyfriend. It's pretty dope. Um, I've seen it, and it's it's badass, so definitely check that out. Uh, from T-shirts to backdrops to anything else that can have a logo on it, they pride themselves on their pricing and customer service. They'll make sure that you get your items when you need them, on budget, and looking incredible. Their clients include Queens of the Stone Age, Foo Fighters, the world-famous Whiskey-A-Go-Go, Stern, Pinwall, IGN, American Heart Associates, and many, many more. Check out their extensive item search at war marketing or excuse me, warmachinemarketing.com or email them at row that's R O at warmachinemarketing.com. And I'm going to get row on the podcast pretty soon. Um, and we're going to talk about his, his, you know, his whole story and, and, and all the stuff he does. He's, he's, he's just one of the coolest guys and he's from fucking New Jersey, which is like totally represent. Oh, and I forgot their little tagline war machine marketing. Merch is your weapon. And I'm going to get some stuff made through them. Some pins and stickers, some dot coil stuff, some X-Man stuff. Hope you guys will like it. We also have another sponsor, a band, because we always, we always have, have to have music on here. And this band is called Memory of a Melody. And we're going to play a track entitled Merry Go Round. Check it out.
This is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. 
Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. So that was Memory of a Melody with their track, Merry Go Round. I, I quite enjoyed that. It was a little kind of proggy Vent sevenfold shit in there. Some some cool metal happening. Yeah, but these guys are from San Antonio, Texas. They've actually been around for quite a while. They, they started back in 2009 and have records going back to 2011. You actually go on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, and check out all their records, but the song you just heard was from an EP which just came out in March entitled Burn Alive, which has three tracks on it. And if you want, go over to their website. Actually, I'm not gonna say if you want, definitely go over to their website, memoryofamelody.com, and they have a merch store. They want to let me know the t-shirt's only five dollars right now. They try and clear out some stuff. So go over there, buy a t-shirt, tell them Doc Coyle sent you, and also, you know, check out their Facebook. It's all facebook.com backslash memory of a melody. Yeah, pretty much all their stuff is at memory of a melody. And there is a lyric video of the track you just heard. And they'll be releasing a, a normal video coming up. You know, things got kind of bogged down with all the, the COVID stuff. But um, I thought that was really cool. And I appreciate the band sponsoring the show. So please support them. If you would like to hear your band on the X-Men podcast, please drop me an email at the X-Man podcast at gmail.com. Remember that's EX or just DM me on social media. So all the business out of the way, let me give a quick intro to our guest, Mr. John Campbell, bassist extraordinaire for Lamb of God. I go way back with this dude since I was in high school. And you guys know that, you know, I, I jammed with Lamb of God. I filled in for the band, did shows going back with Burn the Priest back in the day. And I love John. He's, you know, he's my closest friend in the band. You know, he's just, he's my homie. And so, you know, for me, the show is always, I, you know, I want to talk to my friends. I'm a little selfish. What can I say? Uh, just in terms of getting a preamble to what you're about to hear, we actually recorded this kind of right after the first weekend of, of protests or maybe like a week after. So everything was really fresh. So some of the stuff we're talking about, you know, kind of keep that in in context that was right around there. So a lot of the stuff was very kind of on top of mind. And, he, and kind of my perspective on some of this stuff has kind of evolved a little bit. So take that with a grain of salt. But overall, I still think it's extremely relevant. And, um, you know, it was just glad to get John on here because he's such a he's such a smart guy and funny and, 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 and thoughtful. And, you know, this is kind of just a little bit of a gateway into the conversations he and I have on our own, which is like, to me, the, the best kind of shows that I do. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. So check out my conversation 
with the uh, the sultry voiced and handsome John Campbell. See, I thought I was going to I was going to get serenaded. You know, this is going on the podcast, right? <laughs> that sloppy ass shit. <laughs> hey, man, that's pretty good. I've, I haven't played that one in a while. I think I learned um, it wrong. Oh, shit. That, that's one of those melodies that just sticks in your head. That, it sticks in my head that just out of nowhere, all of a sudden, that melody comes drifting through. So one day I was messing around with my youth there and was like, man, what is that? Yeah, what fucking song? Oh, yeah. Ukuleles confuse me. This one wouldn't. This is a baritone. It doesn't have that stupid high string. Oh shit! It's it's a it's tuned exactly like a guitar if you took the E and the A string off. So there's your D. Ooh. Ooh. There you go. <laughs> so so um, how are you enjoying the revolution? <laughs> it's a frustrating, frustrating thing, my man. I yeah, I would, uh, no, I was saying I would feel remiss not to uh, bring it up, you know. Yeah, it's kind of hard not to. The, the, we're we're in a transition. The the world is changing, for better or worse. I don't know. Yeah. So you guys had uh, some stuff going down in RVA. Mm-hmm. What happened? Uh, uh, well, I was not part of it, uh, but a lot of people were protesting uh, peacefully, and from what I've read, uh, the police were a little brutal. Um. But Richmond has got a, a, there's a strong counterculture in Richmond and has been forever. Um, when Virginia's voting red, Virginia's voting blue, or Richmond's voting blue. Uh, yeah. So there's, there's quite a bit of activism in the city, and uh, there are people way more involved and knowledgeable than I am. But, you know, I'm, I'm proud of what Richmond is, has, has done as a, as a culture. Yeah, I mean, I, I've experienced in this a little moment. Bit. In this moment, let me clarify. <laughs> no, I, I experienced a little bit of that myself when I uh, went to do the gig with Mark. Uh, I flew in, and then uh, my my flight got canceled. And I had to take a rental car from DC up, and I showed up at like you know seven, eight in the morning, without barely sleeping. And they're like, "Hey, we're going to this protest that Randy was putting together against right. the uh, Westboro Baptist Church." Um, and uh, I got to see some of that activism first and first and forehand is obviously. A, and that right? was good. That was good natured uh, activism in that point. They were out there with kazoos, just yeah. making spectacles of themselves uh, in a, a counterbalance to the spectacle that was being made by the Westboro Church. But people are fucking angry now. I mean, all over the world they are. And it. Uh, I, I just hope people don't get hurt. Well, I think people are getting hurt. You know, I mean, you know, I, I did a, a little you know, I, I usually I'll do like a little monologue at the beginning of my show, kind of talk about what I'm what I'm thinking about. I, I've listened to your show on. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and, and my take is, I think, is different than I think a lot of people would think, um, you know, because, you know, me, I, I kind of zoom out and think tactically. Like, how do you if you have a goal, how do you achieve the goal? And 
I think like I live in Van Nuys and then we just had protests and looting and stuff literally half mile from my house. Right. And it's scary. You're just hearing sirens and uh, helicopters and, you know, it's it's real shit where it's like, don't leave your house. <laughs> it's dangerous you know? to leave your house. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, this is downtown L.A., uh, but where I used to live on Wilshire, that's where the, the first big thing happened when they were going towards Beverly Hills. I mean, it's worse, you know, the, in the aggregate, probably than the 92 riots. You know, when you look at the kind of scale of the uh, the damage and, and destruction, you don't really know where and the, the problem is. I think with big things like this is people tend to assign blame to their prejudices. Right. So if you were already against right, the police, not sure. then it's like, well, this happened because the police suck. Okay. And if you already were kind of more right wing and you hate disorder when, you know, those people are doing it, you're already going to say, well, looters are terrible. And it's like, yeah. And the thing is that's like, that same footage that I would see of cops being complete brutal dickheads. They would see as finally somebody's doing the right thing and cracking some goddamn skulls. Or they just don't show it. People selectively, right? So if you show, if you have video of, I always say like, um, the the vi- cop, the police driving in New York into the crowd of people. You think they showed that on Fox News? Well, yeah, but the thing is, if and and I mean, literally, I think people take it. Their takeaway is different. And the thing is, I could that one I could kind of see, right? So if you're in a car, look what happened to Reginald Denny. He was in a car. They pulled him out, beat his ass. So it's like. If you really think you're in danger from being like swarmed and and you feel like you're not safe in your car and you feel like people are coming to get you, doesn't mean it's you're a cop and you got weapons and a radio in your car and a partner, yeah, yeah, with locks and cop cars. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm not saying, I'm just saying there's probably freaked out. Yeah, what I'm saying is a situation like that. We want this idea of restraint, but then when people feel that they're in danger, they don't act rationally. They act out of survival. And and sure. anyway, what I'm saying is, so someone who is very much has a a team they're rooting for sees that in the perspective they want to see it as, sure. instead of trying to see everyone. Because, you know, because I'm on the I'm too like, yo, if you don't want to get hit by a car, don't stand in front of a car. I mean, there's that too, right? The whole point of being a human shield is I'm willing to be a human shield. Yeah, there was a, those uh, vegan protesters who went and shackled their necks to some production line. And I can't watch the video because it makes me so uncomfortable. But then somehow the production line gets turned on for a second and they're like, holy shit. So I get dragged along by these U-locks around their necks. Yeah. So I mean, if you didn't, if you didn't intend to, to take that trip as your ultimate sacrifice, you shouldn't have locked that lock. Yeah. Well, I've had a lot of difficulty... Um, I guess verbalizing or putting my full thoughts into like actual something that feels coherent and ties everything together. And I, and I kind of, I feel like times like this is actually better to quell your instinctual emotions because usually they, they're not really, you don't have perspective yet. You're too much in the moment. And so the things you might say, it's just, it's very real. I often find myself anytime I do something like post something on Twitter, that's like, when I'm real heated, an hour later, I'm like, yeah, that probably wasn't the most, uh, <laughs> you know, sure. uh, well the, the thought shit, out. The shit, the shit is entertaining. 
and it gets it gets it creates a, a it creates stuff for your audience. So uh, don't stop. <laughs> well, no, yeah, but the thing is, I I really don't, you know, I really choose to use it nine out of ten times as like, you know, I like to be funny and take the piss, and and, and this stuff is just not funny at all. No, there's, it's not. There's, um, but but no, so I I try and kind of stay out of it from that because I feel like uh, once you become part of a team, right, then all of a sudden you have to kind of defend everything that that team does, right? And the truth is, like, no one's complete. It's like we, we talk about the bad apples things with cops, but look at the – you have, like, protesters, right? 90% of them are peaceful. They're for the right reasons. And then all it takes is, like, a few far-left activists who come there – with weapons, with spray paint, with bricks. Then you have a f- agent provocateurs, right, from the right who come there and want to make them look bad. And then you have just people who are, like, broke and just, like, oh, and who just take advantage, like, oh, shit's going down. I guess I'm going to go get me some shit, right, who probably weren't even there and just take advantage. And it only takes that little bit. And But the funny thing is you can say, say the same thing about the cops, right? It only ninety percent of them are probably fine, or eighty. I don't know the numbers, but if ten percent of thousands of people suck, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people with a lot of power. Yeah. So, but my my, my point is, once you choose a team, now you have to defend all of it. I, then, I agree, but keep in mind you're talking to somebody that does not give a fuck about sports, and I have no team anywhere. So well, I, I, just, I completely agree with what you're saying. Yeah. And of course, I'm gonna pat myself on the back. <laughs> I do have my I do have my biases and and my political leanings. That's As do true, I. That's true to what you're saying. Yeah. Is that your first reaction is to is to look at it from your side being correct, but I think it's important, especially in these times, to maintain critical thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because you, you know your band has always kind of been in the fray and not shied away um, from speaking your mind. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever met Randy? <laughs> yeah, no, but I think it's 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 really fascinating because, you know, heavy metal community in America, obviously, uh, you know, tends to lean a little red, tends to lean, you know, you know, our biggest markets a lot of times in the Midwest, down south, and so you get a diversity of opinion and political ideology and lifestyle, um, and so it, it kind of, for me at least, it it's illuminating because I get to understand different perspectives and not at least, kind of at least witness them for yourself to put your, 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 your mind there to see what, what it's all about. So it's, it's a bigger world in New York and LA, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and so it, I, I think it, for me, it's given me a, a more empathetic perspective than I think a lot of the people I'm around in. Cause like I said, I'm from New Jersey and I'm from the two and I live in LA now. So I'm, I've, we have our bubbles, um, but but you've you guys been enough to drive a shitty van through uh, all that flyover in between. <laughs> no, but I, but I I personally like it. I, I like having a you know because you can have like a worldly perspective, right? Where we get to go to all of the world and meet people there, but we also have that ability to uh, experience America in its totality. But you guys in particular, your kind of brand and a lot of your fans is probably even you know it's. I wonder how much kind of uh, backlash or disagreement is between kind of the ideology of some of the guys in your band and actually your fans. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's uh, it's interesting, especially now as 
uh, Mark specifically has has turned up the the politics on his Twitter. Yeah, much much to my amusement, <laughs> amusement being a, a relative term, uh, and I think it's great and it's pissing people off. I I posted a couple political things and I only have one person who's just complete dipshit, uh, making no sense. But uh, Mark Mark really pulls them in, and Mark is incredibly intelligent. I would never yeah. ever and educated. Want to be and educated, and I wouldn't want to be uh, some fool stepping to Mark Morton on Twitter. As I say, he he's got the receipts. <laughs> <laughs> and if he doesn't have it, he'll write them real quick, and they're gonna be fucking eloquent and to the point, and take your yeah. fucking head off on the way. <laughs> well, no, I, but like I said, you guys have kind of always been been on the front lines. I mean, around you know 2004, you know, post Iraq War, you know, with uh, um, Ashes of the Wake. And, you know, and, and, you know, God forbid we were doing the same thing, songs like Antihero and things like that and kind of putting yeah. ourselves out there. But, you know, I just wondered, you know, is that something you you guys have felt, you know, in terms of interacting with your own fans or is it something that's kind of like they're able to separate? I think some of them don't give a crap about politics and they just I mean, I think <laughs> you're being egotistical if you think that all of your fans appreciate every aspect of what you're doing. There's some people who are just like, holy shit, I like that song. And they don't want to even think about it beyond that. Yeah. Um, but I do think that there are people who will be offended and 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 turn themselves off of Lamb of God. But <laughs> I bet you they still, before they realize that it's us and they're supposed to hate us, they're still going to love it. Yeah, well, it's, I think it's, it's, it's a fine line because I've, I've had Phil Labonte on, on the show a few times, you know, to specifically talk about politics. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and Phil, like, he's so outspoken that sometimes i think it overshadows the music side of it and you become kind of that becomes your brand it's like sure, you're the political sure. guy and i think that's the fine line that at least i try and do where i feel like i want to be open about politics and be you know feel like i have a perspective and kind of offer some some type of wisdom or 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 whatever but i, I don't want it to be the defining thing about me you know what i'm saying sure but it you're saying it's your brand. It's you, you've got a voice. Uh, and I think to some degree you have a responsibility to use that voice wisely. Yeah. And that I think at some point, especially now to be silent is, uh, to be complicit. Yeah. Well, I, so, so I, I kind of go both ways on that because I feel like saying something without having all the information, I think is irresponsible. You know, and well, I mean, what you say is is important. I'm not just saying stop yeah. talking and running your mouth. Yeah. I'm saying, yes, but what I'm saying is, in this particular case, we're still in the like I said, uh, when you're in the eye of the storm, you cannot see the totality of the storm. Sure. So there's so much going on, and the emotions are so high. You unless you kind of like you got to see what's going. Like okay, well, and and I think the hardest thing to do, and not just now, I think it's always been this way. Is to how do you get to the most distilled, accurate version of what is what reality is? What's actually <laughs> happening, right? Dog, I mean, it's different for everybody. There's no, there's no singularity in that. Well, I, but that's why exactly my point. It's getting every angle, like, or how can you even know, right? Without a reporter or someone on the ground, like, just running video without a, without a source of information yeah yeah we relying on other people to relay the reality or unless you're there on the ground right you know and you have your first hand like i was at the protest this happened that happened this is what i saw 
Um, and so it's Mom. difficult. But people I've rely. Reading, I've been re- I've been re- I've been relying on people's firsthand accounts of what's going on in the protests in my city. Uh, yeah. And I find it valuable. I, yeah. I, I'm not. This is not. These aren't people with agendas. And like you said at the beginning of this, you see things through the filter of your bubble. But mm-hmm. uh, there's still pictures and and the words that explain what's happening in them. Sometimes the words are unnecessary. That there was video of a cop in Richmond where there's a protester down on their knees, cuffed behind them, and the cop is spitting on the ground next to them and then spitting on them and then spitting yeah. on the ground. And people filming are going, what the fuck are you doing? I'm filming this. That's real nice, you fucking asshole. I mean, the, oh. there's no way to see that any different way. Or yeah. the murder of George Floyd. How do you not see that as murder? Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's... Uh, and the funny thing is, I think that one incident out of all the videos of police brutality or things like that, it seemed to be pretty across the board. People, even I, you know, to my surprise, a lot of people on the right, even uh, seems are like, that's not how you do that. That's yeah. Wrong. Um, you know, so, and, and I think there was some kind of unifying idea in that and it, and it got to the heart of, uh, <laughs> of white people that they could finally see that fucking America's racist as fuck. Well, here's the thing, but here's but I see that differently too. I, I, okay, so you see that act. What proof do you have that he did that because of race and that he just wasn't an evil person? I'm not looking at the one act. I'm looking at the the statistics. Well, I, well, I I understand that, but the thing is, we are in a in a weird way, and this is the this is what I kind of talked about in my my monologue was I was like, I think there's a misappropriation of scale. Right. Like we take for some reason, emotionally, we connect to one act to one person more than if it happened to a thousand people or like a country. Like if George Floyd was a homeless guy in, you know, L.A. that died in a ditch, people wouldn't care. But these these people become they become a symbol for your anger and your sense of injustice and everything that happened to you. And I think to some degree, to to some degree, there's some like, there's something faulty about that. Um, And and I think it, and I I think it becomes, I, I got to stop you, man, because you're comparing a dude, a homeless dude dying in a ditch to a man murdered by police. The, the, the circumstances are entirely different. uh, No, I, I, I understand that, but that's what I'm, I'm saying. It's, how people die or why people die is almost important, more important than the death itself to us. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you want to go super deep, it might have something to do with our own. So what I'm saying is like, we're going to meet our end. If I punch you in the face just because I'm crazy, right? I'm just an asshole. I'm a dude who likes punching people, right? Or whatever. You looked at my girlfriend, so I punch you in the face. But if I punch you in the face because in my heart I don't like white people, it becomes different. And I'm and to a certain degree, I don't know if there's actually that much difference. Is 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 that we can't read it? We don't know what's in people's hearts and minds. And so it becomes about trying to and it doesn't mean that's not true. And it doesn't mean in the aggregate those issues aren't there. It just becomes about that personal grievance. And I, I don't know, I'm just saying in terms of Doing all this stuff. Go ahead. I just, I just don't, I just don't know. You know, if you look at historically, right? Look at all of the, uh, 
all the protests and stuff that happened after Nixon won in 68 and people what he basically coined the term silent majority. He ran on law and order and he he won by a massive landslide because the that silent majority was true. They didn't like the civil unrest. And the problem is a lot of the loudest voices who are on Twitter and at the rallies, that's not most of America. And so it, it really, once things get really crazy, it creates this separating effect. And so if you don't have, and this is why the, the protests in the early 60s worked for the you know the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, is that there were specific goals and they were very organized and they made it. And the whole point was do not... The reason why they had the thing of nonviolence was so that you always had the moral upper hand. And so that when the, the photo op happened, you looked like the victim. And that was what got people. That's what changed hearts and minds. You know, so I think about it more strategically. It's like, how do you change the system? How do you change the, the country's collective nature? You know, or whether that's policing, whether that's white. Because guess what? There's not just white cops. That do that do police brutality, you know. That's a whole, you know. It's a, you know, it's so. Like, how do you change the mindset of a policing culture? I don't know, but I'm not an elected official sitting in a position to make those changes. I have recently heard that there is a plan. I haven't seen the details of the plan of some guy running for president uh, for policing reform as something that's needed. Yeah, I can I can see that making sense. But the problem is, is we have zero national leadership. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're fucked. Yeah, well, hopefully uh, we'll see what happens in a few months. It's going to be, it's, I figure it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, yeah, there's still a pandemic going on. Yeah, well, actually, speaking of the pandemic, uh, <laughs> uh, Lamb of God has decided to put your album out. When is that? When is the new release date? Man, why you got to ask me these silly questions? I think it's the 19th. You think it's not? You should know when your albums come out more than I should know. <clears throat> they I changed mean, it on me, man. They changed it. The 19th of June? Yes. Okay. So uh, so it was originally supposed to come out uh, previously, and then obviously everything went haywire. Um, what was the impetus around even putting out this soon? Was there any idea? Hey, maybe put it out six months from now, next year, or anything like that? No, nothing like that. It's a really, really boring reason. But it comes down to the ability to produce the physical product for the people that pre-ordered. Yeah. Was they were going to be unable to deliver it by the uh, release date. And they didn't... We didn't want for people to be able to pre-order to get it first, the physical copy. But then it comes out on this date digitally. So everybody has it on, on their iTunes, Spotify, whatever. But these people who paid pre-order couldn't get their shit and they had to wait because it got held up in, in production. So this is to time it so that the people who pre-ordered get their, uh, their due. Well, that's very ethical of you. Good job. <laughs> I mean, it's boring as fuck. It, people, people want to get pissed off about it and, uh, or just are curious about it and are disappointed. I think in the answer. No, I listen. I I like that answer because I think a lot of times I you know there's been situations like that with you know people doing um, crowd funds and things where perhaps people don't get their stuff and it it becomes and maybe the people who are running it don't 
care that much. So I think it's important that you guys care about that. And and the people that pre-ordered it, those are your biggest fans and the ones you want to placate the most. I mean, we ain't trying to be dicks. <laughs> um, so this album, I've been I've had the the good fortune to listen to the record a, a few times. It's fucking great. How how that happened, Doc? Uh, through <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I don't care. Through Maria Fer- Ferraro and uh, Adrenaline <laughs> PR. Lying, no, that's how. That's exactly how. It how was it really? I, yeah, okay. I got the I got the Holix link. I had to like link it. You know, I can only listen that, to. How does that work for the people at home and for the people who play bass in bands? How exactly does that work? Okay, so there's this company website called Holix that essentially will host uh, a preview of the album. Sometimes you can download the MP3s, but not all the time. This one you couldn't download. You could only listen to it on the page, and it will have you know some other you know, uh, press, you know, uh, assets, whether that's photos or bios or sure. things like that. But it's for people like myself, media members, uh, you know, doctor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's important to kind of see where the band is and what you've done. And, um, uh, but no, but I, I think the record's great. I mean, which is not really a surprise. You guys, I think one of the reasons why the band is so successful is because of the creative consistency, um, from album to album. You're one of the, ba- you know, they say, uh, Neil from Three Days Grace said to me, a, a band's brand is a promise to the their audience what they what they will sound like. What the next album is going to sound like. Yeah. And so that, you know, that you guys probably have one of the more reliable brands in in metal that people kind of know. I, when I uh, buy a Lamb of well, God, I, I know what I'm going to get. So let me put you on the spot. What's our worst record? My For me, Resolution. Yeah. Okay. I just I just felt it was like kind of, especially the opening track. I'm like, yeah, it's all right. It's a little boring. <laughs> a little boring, especially you know, coming after Wrath with like yeah. the sickest album opener ever. It was just like it was just you know. But then I love I love the uh, you know Stern Stern Stur- Howard Stern and Dramamine. Sperm and Dung. I love that album, and I think the new one is a is an excellent follow up. But uh, so here's the thing. So I. Being friends with you and also being someone who's been in bands for years and has to do a lot of press, it's like a weird thing has, to and has toured playing guitar in Lamb of God. Yeah, and 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 that, but uh wait, who you know, it's, with when we did that? I don't remember. 2009. Yeah, that was with a uh, little band called Cradle of I can't remember. I think it was uh, Iron Robin. Metallica. Robin. <laughs> Metallica. <laughs> uh Yes, yes, you guys. Uh, listen, that I've talked about that a lot on 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 the show. It's uh, oh, a <laughs> crazy opportunity, <laughs> crazy opportunity. Definitely, listen, that changed my life because it gave me kind of confidence to believe I could do other things outside of what I was doing I'm, at, at, at I'm the time. I'm glad you got that confidence, man, because you're killing it. Well, I I pr- I appreciate it, and it you know exposed me. You know, I have opportunities now. You know, I play in a band with Rob and Metallica, and Rob and uh, Kirk, and that probably wouldn't have happened if I didn't tour with you guys. And that shows you kind of crazy how the world works. Yeah. You know. Um, Congratulations on that, by the way, man. That makes okay. me happy as shit every time I see you post. Oh, thanks, man. Videos. It's 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 bugged out, you know. But um, you know, and I was, and it's weird because I don't look at myself like I'm the greatest player. I'm this. I'm just. It's like a, it's just a funny thing about, I think, uh, you know, you just try and do the right thing and work hard and be a nice person and hopefully good the things best, will happen. the best doc coil you could be. Exactly. Look where you, look where you got. We'll see. Well, here's the thing, man. It ain't over. You just kind of, you know, oh, and that, that, 
that's that's the other thing. Don't get too happy with yourself and yeah, yeah, pat yeah, yourself yeah. on the back. But um, but no. So I I kind of have a a perspective in terms of knowing what you know, like like for example, I mean, you've been doing a lot of interviews, I presume, for this album, or I've enough. Been doing a few, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I imagine a lot of those questions are about Chris Adler, and and what it gets been, it gets brushed up on, sure. It gets rushed. So, well, no, so I'm kind of sensitive to that. And and knowing you guys, obviously, I have a lot of inside information that I would never divulge uh, publicly without your, uh, you know, consent or even not even without. I just don't think it's like, uh, I don't know. It's not classy, Um, (laughs) you know, so, you know, but I like I said, but but in a way, I always have to ask some hat questions just to satisfy my own curiosity. I will answer them as best I can. Yeah, no, no, this isn't about dirt. This is more about kind of like the process of of making an album for the first time without without Chris. Well, it's amazing, man, because bringing art into this, uh, he's full of fucking energy. And a lot of these things are new and novel to him. And for us, some of these things we've done, I mean, we're not jaded, but, you know, the novelty's worn off on these things. Uh, But then to see him come and get excited... Uh, oh, I don't know. Think about the first time you get on a tour bus, or think about yeah. the first time you you, you get a, a condo bunks, uh, yeah. <laughs> and just like just seeing him get all excited about all these things, and like going and playing to massive crowds and all this stuff, or going into these super cool studios and working on this stuff. Like he is genuinely excited, man. That that kid's living his dream, and it's beautiful. Hey, man, that'll that'll be it's over here. <laughs> Pretty soon, I'll have a personal assistant. He'll be wearing sunglasses indoors. You know, you think the record's that good? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, no. It's 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 all it's funny that you you brought that up because it's interesting how quickly the things that are novel become we start to take for granted. Routine, more yeah. or they become routine, and you take them yeah. for granted. Yeah. Um, and uh, and no, no. I think that's that's awesome. And listen, I've been friends with Art you know, for 10 years, something, something like that. And, and, you know, we got to connect a lot when, when I moved to LA and kind of re reconnect and, um, and was, you know, I saw him play with prong and I, and I remember seeing him because I saw him with his old band wins a plague, but you know, then I didn't see him play forever. And I didn't realize he was that good when I saw him with prong and, you know, we connected, he was on the podcast way before he was playing with playing with you guys and so anytime any of my friends just move up and their their talents and hard work um, pays off, I, yeah. I get I get like vicarious like uh, I don't know I feel like we when one of my friends wins we all win. Yes, you know? absolutely. I mean that's me congratulating you about the uh, the wedding band, man. That shit is great. It makes me feel great for you, but also for myself. Yeah, and it's and you know. You know how I mean. I, actually, I mean, you you come from R- Richmond, Virginia, which has a really supportive community. But I know a lot of people that don't that get jealous and kind of that they, you know, they have that bitter man. Why did that person get this? Like that that is very pervasive. Ah, that's. Um, I mean, believe me, I've experienced it. And uh, but I'm the exact opposite because I'm always trying because I'm trying to. Especially like me, because I I see the when I see someone really talented and they're not really things aren't really happening for them. I want to help them. I want them like I need to get them with these people so that they can or so a lot of people, they're great at what they do, but their mentality is kind of screwed up or they don't have the confidence in themselves. And I'm like, 
you know, I, I want everyone to win. That's my basic thing. So I was that that was a really exciting thing. But it's also like, you know, I mean, Chris, you know, especially in terms of drummers, I mean, probably had more of a presence kind of publicly, you know, and I just, you know, I just wonder for you, for you guys, it doesn't seem like there's been that big of a backlash in terms of the member change, but has that been like a big factor? Just kind of like this is the first time without this person who's been so prominent kind of in the, the public face of the band. Uh, that question comes up a lot. Yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> See, if I was Howard it's Stern, something, I, I it's something, it's something intelligent to add to that, but uh, <laughs> you asked the question. So I, I totally I'm sorry. No, it's all right. good. <laughs> well, I guess we'll find out when the, when this first week comes out, right? <laughs> oh, you were, you were asking about backlash. And, I, and the thought that I had was that, just like when we changed the name of the band, we got asked that same fucking question forever. And just like people will always say, uh, Wrath is our greatest record ever. We just added to the list of shit that will always get said. Yeah. Uh, there will always be somebody going, I fucking like it better with Chris. Yeah. Word. Well, it's, <laughs> That's listen, it's There's all these records you can go listen to. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, listen. I, I know about band member changes, especially people that have been there for a long time. And it's, uh, listen, it, it is what it is, you know? And, uh, like I said, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Cause I got the inside info. Yeah, baby. I'm going on TMZ tomorrow. <laughs> See, the, the problem here is that you're even insinuating that there is inside info to be. There had. is no, I'm just kidding. There's no inside information. I mean, the only thing you, that you would know that somebody else wouldn't was, you know, how we, how we interacted, uh, you know, when we're not on stage and we're not in interviews or being filmed or something like you, you were there when it, the real was real. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and it's, it's so funny, actually, you know, the, the truth is I think most bands when you're kind of on the, when you have the inside track of how things happen intimately are not quite as hunky dory as you think there's no, almost no situation. Um, like I give an example, like I remember like Azalea dying, you know, before everything kind of went crazy with them, they just seemed like the happiest guys and like everything was, they just, they're just so friendly and, and you just, you would never think that they have these inner issues, you know, unless, but you just don't know. And, and the truth is when you're in a band, especially for a long time, there's always some shit that is just crazy. This person doesn't like that person. This person jealous. This person, these people arguing over money. They're arguing over royalties, whatever. Um, and it's, uh, I mean, it, it kind of, you know, for me, I kind of come from that very romantic idea of how bands all for one, one for all, man, brother. They all live in the same, they all live in the same house. They eat dinner together. Every well, day. but I've also noticed it's kind of like that, that Biggie Smalls, you know, uh, line, you know, more money, more problems. Is you know is that you know kind of the bigger a band gets it's like oh, it's almost like this way when a band is small and they don't got nothing there's really nothing to fight over but when there's actually something there that's substantial then all of a sudden you kind of people's true nature is revealed you know and it's, so it's easy to be all for one when you just got one sandwich and everyone's <laughs> right but all of a sudden when, when there's a buffet. <laughs> Yeah, get out of my way. I'm, I'm eating the shrimp, man. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the one of the the points I had I'd written down was just um, kind of I guess talking a little bit about that. Um, maybe just being used to it or taking things for for granted. But you know, just have do you have any kind of full realization or understanding that 
you know, you're in one of the biggest metal bands in the world. Is that like sunk in? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think uh, this may sound weird to say, but I, I think that there are some people that the band is as important to them as it is to me and dudes in the band. And if not, there are people who it's even more important to. Yeah. Well, I mean, you guys are, it's it. Cause you know, obviously I watch every time you guys do a documentary or something, which I think is, they're all amazing. Uh, but what you've kind of, you're in this lineage, right. Of flag bearers, you know, and it's um, of the culture of heavy metal. And you, you know, like even, even your initial, tagline you know pure american metal that's like a a, it's a thing that people want right because metal fans are you know are way more conservative than people actually believe and i don't mean conservative uh politically they're conservative in that they have this idea of what metal is and what it should be and if it deviates too far out of that infrastructure they take it Yeah. yeah and and that seems to be something either whether it's natural or that it's planned, you guys do that really well, where it's like people feel like you're representing what it should be for everyone else, but in a way that's kind of accessible because if it wasn't accessible, you wouldn't be as, the band wouldn't be as big as it is. What I think is interesting is people uh, complaining that all of our, like with the new singles that came out, it fucking sounds like it's just another fucking Lamb of God record. Like, what the fuck did you want us to put out? <laughs> but actually, but it's but it is interesting because, you know, me being a fan of the band, and you look at some of the early records, especially to me, like Palaces, really stands out in that it's uh, it's very progressive, right? The the song structures are a lot more abstract. The thing, you know, there's a lot of twists and turns, and over the course of the years, the songs have been, become a lot more, you know, uh, you know, I guess pop formula, right? Intro, verse. Pre-chorus, chorus, kind of, kind of more thing. traditional, more traditional yeah. song structure. And so, be, so when you have a sound, and then you you take that and you put a structure to it, it can kind of feel like, okay, this is just what we do. Has that's there ever a, been? That's a great point. Has there ever been an idea like, hey, let's go a little off, let's go more palaces, let's get crazy again, or let's make it a little more unpredictable, or is it more like, nah, we we kind of like doing things, we like this more. I guess, traditional methodology? Uh, speaking only for myself, uh, I, I appreciate the traditional methodology, but I mean, it's, I'm always up for twists. Yeah. Like that. But I ain't writing the song, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's, it's funny, because I'm like, I'm like you now in Bad Wolves, where I'm like, now I'm like a peripheral songwriter. I just, I, I, I give a little bit, and I'm just like, one of you is like, okay. You know, and I got I got to be you in the interview. So what was it right like writing this song? I was like, I wouldn't know, player. Man, Man I don't know. I showed up, but I heard it. And I was like, that's dude. hot. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> but at least you play bass on your records. You'd be, a, yeah, you know. yeah. Well, there's a lot. There's a lot of bands where the bit where the bass player, you know, the, the usually like half the time the guitar player who wrote the part will just do the bass. Really. You know? Yeah, I or if you're in Metallica, no Bob, sometimes Bob Rock does a bass, you know? <laughs> Damn. Is this like some, uh, I feel like I'm feeling I'm getting some like, uh, you know, because people love to hate on the bass player. They do. You know, but you, you know, you're like, you know, you have the swagger, you know, of, um, you know, maybe like a third rhythm guitar player in a band. I mean, honestly, I'm playing guitar <laughs> on a bass. 
So I don't know how to play bass or guitar for that matter. I just I picked it up, picked it up, and started making noise with my friends, and they were playing guitar, and we're playing well, guitar-driven music. I can say, you know, without a doubt, you know, having to play the Lamb of God riffs, which is not easy. Like I literally have like this, like this fucked up thing in my left wrist that was like aggravated by playing Lamb of God riffs because it was so much left-hand craziness, and. I know for a fact that you actually play all those same riffs on the fucking bass, which most of them, yeah. And if people don't don't know, any riff that you play on a guitar is actually way harder to play on a bass because there's wider space between frets and it takes more hand strength to fret a bass. So you are pretty, as far as bass players goes, you're pretty fucking badass. So I hope you know that. Aww. I know. And I think you know that because, like I said, you have you know you you like I said you carry yourself like you know, like you're you know big, biggie time, biggie shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You should have like, seen me in uh, should have seen me in high school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Mister Mister Bigwig. Oh yeah, that was me in high school, man. No, not at all. Did you have that deep, sultry, sexy Southern voice in high school? I don't know. I don't think so. You don't think so? When is, when I, I, I had glasses about this thing. I mean, you you know how that look goes. You look the same. Me? No, I don't look the same. I was skinny. I you look bad. the same with the big, thick-ass glasses on your face. They weren't that thick, all right? They were just normal glasses. They, yeah, they were big. I'm, maybe, you well, know, I think, I, I think I'm seeing a picture I have of you, or maybe you posted somewhere where you're wearing, like, some of those silly novelty glasses that have fake probably. eyes in them. Probably, and, and that somehow blooded my memory into into some corny ass glasses you were wearing back in the day. Well, I love it because you 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 knew me as a child when I was in high school, you know. So so and deep I down, mean, I was a child. I was a child, just a, a little bit ahead of you. Well, how, well I'm 39. How old are you? I, I'm 47. I'll be 48 at the end of this year. Okay. So yes. yes. All right. So yeah, you were definitely still a child by then. No, but we met. I was 17. Alexander Tees. Damn straight. Damn, Damn straight. It's it's that shit's crazy, man. <laughs> <laughs> How fucking lucky are we though for these lives we've lived up to this point? Plenty of tragedy, plenty of heartache and pain, but fuck. Yeah, I mean, I remember something you you told me. I'm not gonna mention the the band you were you were talking about, but uh, this is kind. Of <laughs> this is oh, fuck. This is uh, I want to say around 2002, 2003, 2004 or something. Let's you know, make it you farther just, back, but go ahead. <laughs> no, no, it was, it was around that. It was around that time, and and you know this this one band, you know, was uh, you know, having some success, and they were, you know, you felt some kind of like competitive energy with them, and you basically said, you're like, yeah, man, it's like they just uh, they just don't have that special thing. I forget, man, I'm, I'm actually forget the exact word. He said the, I think you said something different, but basically alluded to the idea that you were aware that there was just something special about your band that this kind of like unquantifiable it factor you know that you do <laughs> that that your band which is you give me you give me way too much authority and all this i was probably this, not, this is not authority mouth. this is yeah what's so that when i'm just running my mouth like yeah they ain't got it man we're the bad motherfucker not them and then <laughs> oh some shit talker was fucking turned out that he was uh, turned successful and you're connecting the two. And I don't I don't know that I had the awareness you're giving me the credit for. Well, I mean, listen, maybe you were, you were just talking shit, but I do think um, it, there, there was some kind of real. Listen, even I noticed it, you know, like when the first when the first when we we tour, uh, shared a tour bus together 
in 2001 with six feet under, you know, uh, I think we like Godfrey might have even had sold more records than you guys at that at that point or something. We were we were doing really well. But that was and, our second time on a bus, man. Yeah, that was your first time. I know. That was our second time on a bus. I know. Listen, man, biggie shots. That's what happens. <laughs> but uh, shit talking. That's what I. But do. I noticed it firsthand that there was just you know, and it's something about obviously you know, a band can have great songs, be great performers, but there is something about having this kind of external charisma and this it factor of of people wanting to glom on to whatever that essence of whatever the, the band was doing and i saw it firsthand you know of we were playing in front of six feet under fans and like half those fans would leave there and they'd be lamb of god fans and we were doing well but when you see it when you're able to compare yourself on the same stage with someone you get to actually see in real time how if you're being honest with yourself right because you can have that jealousy factor of like man ain't that good man and and that's kind of lying to yourself (laughs) just just because thinking that someone is doing better than you uh that they're actually not doing better than you you know that there's not something that connects because me i was always in the position of like why does this work why does that work why does that band connect because i was trying to kind of deconstruct it so I, i could apply that to what i was doing Right, you know, but then which, I kind of which, which is smart of you because that's that's the thing to do in that position is to study and learn and and move forward. But the thing I kind of realized was you can't, you know, that the it factor you can't really manufacture that. Either you have sure. it or you don't. And some bands are just special, you know. And I remember um, our mutual friend Denise Kariki. I remember she would at the. I remember this is like, I think still when new American gospel is out, she was like, they're the next Pantera. And I didn't see it. Cause like, cause to me, the, the, the band was, it was too extreme. It was like, you know, cause that listen to that first record. You could barely understand what's what, uh, <laughs> Randy's saying. I mean, he's not saying anything. <laughs> the priest. No, but I don't even burn the priest. I'm just talking about even new American gospel. It's like, there was, but you know, obviously some people actually did see, the uh the potential but i didn't i thought the band would be underground but still do well but it did become this this kind of thing that at any point did you see in those early days that the band could be on a level of a slayer or not at all and and it reminds me of a conversation i had with ej from prosthetic records back in the early days like deal signed records out we're touring he came out to a show and i was just like this was back in the day when, when I went home, I'd go back to work and EJ uh, still worked at Metal Blade and then did prosthetic as his passion, like we were doing the band. And uh, I was like, EJ, wh- when the hell do you see this even going? And he's like very serious for him. I was like, you guys are going to be headlining arenas and uh, you're going to be off of prosthetic records on onto a major label. And I laughed at him. I was like, <laughs> fuck you, man. What are you talking about? And did he explain it? No. They just answer my question. Where, where do you see this going? What's where, where's this going? Well, I mean, you guys, you know, the, one of the things that when this goes back to me, like trying to learn and and um, deconstruct, like you know, uh, or you know, reverse engineer, right? How how bands are successful. One of the things I took away from you guys, and like I said, these are things you can only understand when you're in close proximity, like sharing a tour bus or something like that, is that I tried to learn for myself was you guys didn't never seem desperate. 
right? Maybe it's because you were a little older. You, you guys kind of had this mentality. Like, one, you had someone like, at the time, you know, Chris was very confident. He was, like, kind of the booster, the the salesman of, you know, and saying, well, we're not – it seemed like you guys were like, we're not doing this unless we get this. And The you reason were, being is because we never intended to be successful in this regard and anything beyond, like – like as soon as we started like touring where booking agents are booking shit, it's like, are, are you kidding me? Yeah. This is great. But if, but if it's not on our terms, if it's not something we, we want to do, then we're not going to fucking do it. Like we, we didn't, we didn't move to LA desperate to be rock stars. Yeah. We came up playing heavy metal in a time when heavy metal was a bad word. Like this was, this wasn't supposed to work. Yeah. But, uh, but that thing, I think a, it had something to do with, you guys being a little older than the average, but you know, we were, at least my brother and I, we were like said, 19, 20. And when you're that age, well, when you're that age, you just, you are kind of chasing a dragon, uh, to, to a certain degree in terms of, um, you know, just having that desperation. And I remember seeing a band like, like yourself trying to kind of imbue that same mentality. I mean, that took years for me to kind of fully, comprehend you know um but i think that's a big reason why the band had uh, a lot of the success because you a you knew who you were b you weren't willing to kind of um sacrifice your own i guess you know uh, personal lives just for this kind of kind of dream and it and the the industry reacts in a way where it's like okay we're, you know, we can't take advantage of these these guys, so we kind of have to react to those terms because it's so, like I said, it's just, it's just rare because most bands are willing to just do whatever and give sign their their lives away, you know, just what, for that chance at the dream. And that, get, and that, the, that gave you guys a great advantage. I I I can see what you're saying, and I think you may be right. Uh, when we first signed to Epic, they kind of admitted to us that they didn't really understand why we were popular and selling records but uh they weren't going to tell us what to do because some we figured out something they didn't yeah no i mean it's like i said it's been at every kind of facet of it it's it's amazing and i was and I'm, I'm sure i mentioned this this to mark and i was trying to put this together i was like you guys might be the i was like are you guys the biggest extreme band or band that because thing is I, I, I was trying to say i was like who is the biggest band that only had screaming, but then you guys started adding some singing parts. So now I don't know if you count. No, I don't that, think we can. I was like, at some point it had to be Sepultura. And I was like, you can't like with, with Max. I mean, Slay- what about Slayer? Does Slayer? He sings. Yeah. Um, Dance with the dead in my dream. But he, I mean, he's just kind there's, of speaking. There's he's a, there's a barking in it. In he's not barking. That's his singing. There's a melody. I, I could play it on the piano, bro. <laughs> okay. I hear you. Okay, but you've seen people play uh, like somebody's freaking out, and there's a viral video of somebody like yelling and screaming something, and then some jazz guitarist will pick up a guitar and totally mimic the voice. But we'll see. See, well, there's different kinds of screamers though, because there's like uh, like Jamie Josta. He actually he, there is a pitch. Even yeah, there's actually a note, but it's one note usually. And it's when you yeah. kind of, or you take someone like Phil Anselmo, who would scream to a melody. You know I mean? Like, yeah, they're actually, can't you see how easily nobody by the pop assistance? He's actually changing notes, even, though, singing, they, yeah. 
even though the voice is gritty and aggressive. So there's, and then you have like a growler, like, you know, carcass where there's, there's no pitch at all. It's just, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, so you know, I know we're getting pretty, pretty nerdy with it on, on that, but well, I was, I'm, I was trying I'm sorry. To, we've, I'm sorry. We ruined it for you by putting singing in there. No, it didn't, didn't ruin it for me. <laughs> I think, no. Cause I, I remember I had, uh, interviewed Randy for VH1 at the time. And a lot of what we talked about was that, uh, you know, him experimenting with that and him talking about essentially, you know, being bored by doing the same kind of thing. And, and, uh, and that he said recording that stuff was his favorite, was the most interesting part of, of doing that record. And I, and I think you have to grow, you know, and, and if there's one guy you can say who is, from the beginning of the band till now, who has improved? Uh, it's Randy. <laughs> no, it's true in every way possible. Yes, you know, and I like and the thing is, I, I like I can listen to this stuff on um, what's that track? Is it uh, not Overlord? Uh, what's the song that he sings on on the on the last album? The mm. don't even know yeah, the name. No, song. Good question. No, I don't. Anyway, I, I <laughs> we can look it up, but that's besides the point. Um, but anyway, when he on the uh, the Burn the Priest covers record, I think he took some of those elements and then took it to a whole other level because it wasn't... I think a lot of times when you have screamers who start singing is they really look at it as like these two opposite things, right? I'm going to scream over here and do this really clean, pristine singing here. And on that record, he kind of found a lot of middle grounds of different, you know, and, and using it like, okay, I, it... It doesn't have to be full scream or full clean. It can be this, you know, it can be like a really uh, subtle palette. And I love the different voices because those songs required different characters, different characters. And I, and I like, and I thought he sounded awesome. Like doing the fucking ministry song and doing uh, the quicksand song and, and finding these different things. And it was, I thought it was fucking really cool, you know, because even me, I get, there's very few bands I can listen to now where it's screaming all the time, where, after three or four songs, I don't get a little bored, you know, because I, yeah. I need that need that spice in my life. You know what I'm saying? You need you need uh, dynamics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you guys have that, you know. I think musically already, you know, there's obviously a lot of it's not just pure being pummeled the whole time. You know, there is there's certain musicality. You guys understand that, and you guys are all into different kinds of music. You know? But also that said, I, I think after you know an hour and a half of uh, of getting pummeled like that, you, you <clears throat> like live, I think you're gonna get tired of of your favorite band. Well, that's not true. There are, there are some bands that will play for three hours, but I think even the fans are tired of it of it by then. <clears throat> Guns and Roses play for fucking shit. ever. I wasn't tired of Guns. I saw them that shit. I was amped I was, up. For me, that's me. I'm a super fan. That's you. No, I'm not a super fan. I like them; they're great, but I don't want to. I don't want to sit in an uncomfortable plastic chair for three hours. What about with Willie Nelson playing? You stay there for three hours? Uh, depends on what I'm doing while he's playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to me, it depends on the. the there are certain bands like, um, was it uh, Allison Chains? I went to see, and you know they play the uh, where you guys the Fox Theater. In, out in out in Pomona in, in LA, and they they played for like an hour and twenty, hour and thirty. And I'm just like, that band, you they can just like cherry pick any song off any album, 
And it's like, to me, they're all hits, right? There's no difference between the hits and the B-sides for, you know, uh, you know the deep cuts with Alice Chase. But I, that's a band I want to see play for three hours, but they never do, you know? And then there's certain bands, you know, like I, even I was, I was like, you know, talking to machine head dudes. I'm like, come on, man, you don't need to play that long. Cause, it, Cause you know, they do, uh, an evening with. and I'm just like, you know, just, you know, I'm like, it's, it's cool. Well, you know, relax. And he's like, nah, he's like, that's what the fans want now. I'm like, okay, you do you. I mean, if they're, if they're selling the tickets and holding the crowds, then they're doing it. Dude, it's crazy. They play like three and a half hours of, you know, and their stuff's very heavy and his, voice he's really putting himself out there i'm like you're you're like a superman i don't i can never do and that they shit. do a tour like that right so he's playing yeah. a tour schedule three hours a night longer than three hours that's insane yeah and it, well i well to me it's mainly because at least there's two drummers because they do the they were doing the burn my eyes set with the you know original guys from that band and then they did a kind of greatest hit set of all the other material with the pretty much a, a, a whole new band, but Rob and, um, and the bass player do, do the whole set. So it's pretty right. crazy, you know? Yeah. That's, that's intense. Cause I know that, uh, not only do we, does it seem that fans wouldn't want Lamb of God to play that long to be able to do a tour with that kind of schedule for someone like Randy, who's, he's not getting new, new vocal cords put in every night. Like we're getting strings on our, uh, on our guitars. That, that shit is rough. Yeah, no, no, no doubt, no doubt. What's the longest set you guys have ever played? Uh, probably an hour and twenty, Jeez. hour and thir- hour and a half at the most. Guys, and that guys. was because there were technical difficulties. You guys are so lazy, Jesus Christ! <laughs> you got to burn bright, man, and get going. <laughs> <laughs> right on man well listen man i'm pretty much all through all the questions i wanted to ask but i i really appreciate you you, you taking the time um this new album is awesome i mean i think people you know, like say one of those bands man motherfuckers know it's like coca-cola i'm gonna crack <laughs> that shit ain't gonna change that formula son and some people are gonna some people are gonna hate on us for it um uh, yeah but that it's damned if you damned if you don't right if you exactly. change if you change it I'm up i'm not worried i'm not worried Right on. Um, I actually want one more thing I want to ask you about. So I saw the uh, the tour with Megadeth and Trivium and Flames has been postponed. Is it like literally they just move the entire tour to next year at the same time? Or we don't know? Not, not at, we, at this point, we don't know. Um, they're still trying to figure that out exactly. And as, uh, as you know, those things take a lot of time to plan. Yeah. Um, and so I think at this point, it's still kind of day to day because who knows what's going on in the world. And my personal opinion is that it's not really safe for crowds of that size to gather until there's a vaccine. I, actually, I was told as long as you're protesting for justice, you can get in any crowd. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know. See, don't hold shows. Hold protests where they sell beer and there's music and then everyone will show up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, nah, I ain't gonna work like that, Doc. If we held up, if we held up the release date of a record, just so the people who pre-ordered could get theirs as as promised, we ain't gonna go put people's lives in danger. All right, right on. Well, you know, I appreciate it. You know, we I've been trying to do this for for a while, but uh, you know, I love you, brother. You are the man. I love you too, Doc. You're an amazing dude. I'm so happy to have had this lifetime to get to know you. Hell yeah, homie. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon and uh. 
buy that record, you bitches. <laughs> <laughs> or, or listen to it at least. Yeah, all that shit. All right, man. I'll yeah. check you later. Peace.
So that was New Colossal Hate from the brand new Lamb of God self-titled album, which came out about a week ago, I believe. Yeah, just saw the saw the chart numbers. They got number 15 on the charts, kicking ass as usual. Thank you to John for taking his time to 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 be on the on the show. Uh, yeah, we were talking about the album like it wasn't out, which at the time it wasn't, but now it is. So go pick it up or stream it or do whatever. I bought it. You know, that's how that's how I, that's how I do it. And to give some clarity to their tour status, which at the time was unknown, the tour has been moved till 2021. I, I'm not sure if the new dates are out, but yes, the whole tour, pretty much that whole kind of slate of Live Nation amphitheater tours all got moved to next year the the battles tour was has it was supposed to start late end of summer july to september now it's going from like june to august or something like that so those dates are out there we 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 put that out yeah i really don't know actually i'm gonna say go on the record i kind of think there's no touring happening this year at least for us and so hopefully like early next year, maybe in Europe, because I, I, I get the feeling America, I don't know if you guys seen the numbers, everything's going up, Texas fucking up, Florida fucking up, you know, this, this mask thing is, is just, it's so bugged out. <laughs> like we're so childish. Like it makes me think about, you know, do we just have no solidarity, you know, or let me put no solidarity. We have not as much as we need to be uh on the same page and it's and it's and it's funny because there's this pull and you know tuck you know tug of war between kind of personal liberty and kind of top down statist control and i i totally get that um instinct to want to not have any control but it's like if you're going to rebel against every little thing in a crisis, then how, if, if, if a certain problem needs everyone's hand on deck, how could you solve it? Right. If the, if your instinct is like, well, they're telling me to do it, so I don't do it. You know, there's certain problems you could just never solve. It's like, it's weird. Like part of me is like, maybe we should be like six countries instead of one, you know, I wonder if that would actually work out better. Cause everyone would, you know, you wouldn't feel tied to someone 3,000 miles away, you know, it would make things a lot more complex. I guess it's like, am I, am I, am I like advocating for like Cal exit or, or Brexit in America? That kind of sounds like what I'm doing. I don't know. Maybe I think if, but, it, but it's kind of crazy, right? Cause Europe, there's European union, but there's like, you know, a ton of countries, like 30 countries and they can all kind of do their own thing, but we can't really do that. We do it by state, but you know, someone gets sick in one state, they just drive over the other state, get someone else sick. It's all good or not good. You know, you know what I mean? It's crazy out there. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's just kind of a bummer, you know, to see things kind of go back the other way, but we, you know, we, we kind of could, could have seen it coming or I guess you're, if you're on the other end where you're like, you know what, shit's got to open up. We got to get back to work. And if people get sick, they get sick. I'm like, yeah, but it's going to be rough. Hospital's going to be full. It's going to be scary. You know, and I think, it, and it, unfortunately, it's going to, you know, because we couldn't take our medicine, it's going to extend everything, right? If we had just been more disciplined for a short amount of time, then you could, you get out of it sooner, you know? And it, it makes me think about sacrifice. 
I think about America, it's like, what in your lifetime have you sacrificed for something bigger than you? Or I guess, you know, it's funny because I think about those terms and you think about like religion, right? That's what the whole idea behind spirituality and religiosity is being in in the midst of that power or something greater than you. And so and I guess, you know, then maybe put in those terms to people like, oh, you're a fascist duck. You worship the state. Um, no, I don't. <laughs> but but no, but just um, you know, back in the day we would have to, you would have to sacrifice something during a war, right? You just certain food wouldn't be available or you'd have to donate precious metals and things like that to the war effort. And it's like Iraq war happened. If you weren't in the war, what did you sacrifice? Probably nothing, you know? And so the, the, this, this thing where for the first time in our lives, we're asked like, hey, stay home. You can't, you know, you're not gonna be able to do certain things. We couldn't take it. We're flipping out. I don't know. It's rough guys. I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm monologuing, belaboring the point. I don't know. Just was on my mind, but I'm going to wrap it up. I really appreciate everyone listening to the show. This is uh, I'm having a good time with it right now. And I'm, I'm getting a lot of, I have a lot of great, uh, interviews coming up. I did an awesome one today. I'm excited. Uh, Dale Restigini, the director who uh, did that movie Cracker. If you guys seen the trailer, it's it's kind of going viral. It's crazy, and it's one of, I think one of the best podcasts I ever did. So I'm excited for that to come out. And uh, yeah, I'm 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 on the grind. I'm making it happen. Anyway, love you guys. Take care. I'm out. For a head-bangingly good time, dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the head-banging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.